It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is live for this Thursday evening, March 11th, 2010. Uh, Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Always look forward to our Thursday night Bible studies. And we are looking forward to tonight's topic, and we look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You can also join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight. If you'll go to our Ustream page, there will be a chat room where you can join in with other listeners. We hope you will do that on the program tonight. Tonight will be a follow-up program to an interesting discussion we had last week. Last week we talked about... The age of the earth. Well, we, we talked with Dwight McGee, an astronomy teacher from Florence, Alabama, and we discussed the age of the earth and all of the evidence that points to the fact that the earth and the universe is young, not old. When we say young, we're talking about in the range of thousands of years old, not millions of years old. And that's a really important consideration to the general question of evolution. Evolution, everybody agrees that if evolution happened, it happened over a long, long period of time. It take it would take a long time, it is claimed. If the theory is true at all, if it could possibly happen, we're going to talk tonight about the fact that it couldn't happen no matter how much time you gave it. But even the evolutionists would argue that if it happened, it happened over a long, long period of time. Therefore, the, the question of the age of the earth is very critical to a study of the general theory of evolution, Jacob, because if you can take the, if you can take the time factor out, really you've killed the, the whole concept of the, of the general theory of evolution. And I think we can take the time away from them. It's just not there. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about the age of the earth and universe. And, and we had really intended last week to get into more other arguments that disprove the general theory of evolution. We didn't have time to get to them, so we're going to do that tonight. All right, and certainly you probably have studied this topic before and you have some thoughts you'd like to add. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone, over the email tonight, or over in the chat room. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And, uh, you know, we're talking about two extremes here. We're not talking about is the earth uh, a thousand years old or is it a thousand and one year old. We're talking about is it billions of years versus a few thousand of years. That's the that's the spread we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the the difference between the the length of that pencil lead and and a lap around the Earth. Yeah, uh, literally. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it's it's a the age of the Earth is a is a really interesting study. We sure did appreciate Dwight McGee being with us last week to talk about that. But that's just sort of one element of the argument against the general theory of evolution. We had an email we didn't get to last week from our friend Anthony here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I want to sort of read what he had to say just as an introduction to to these other things we want to talk about. Anthony says, evolution is simply a way for people who are starting with the assumption that there is no God to speculate about how our universe and mankind came to exist. Evolution is not testable. It is not provable. Therefore, it is, by definition, unscientific. It is simply a theory based upon dozens of fatally flawed assumptions. 
At its core, it is actually very ironic that evolutionists must believe in miracles, that something came from nothing. Last week, Jacob, we were talking about the fact that where did the matter of the universe come from? And then even if you had matter, how did non-living matter come to life? It's it's uh, uh, it, it, That would be a miraculous event, and the evolutionist has to believe in it. He says it's ironic that they have to believe in miracles, that something came from nothing, while simultaneously denigrating people who believe in the real miracle of God's creation. Now, he mentioned something here that we really need to talk about. He says, as a side note, we need to be sure that we understand the difference between micro and macro evolution. Macro evolution is what we mean when we talk about evolution. That's what I refer to, by the way, is the general theory of evolution. Okay. Uh, he says the idea that humans ev- – this is the idea that humans evolved from monkeys. Micro evolution, on the other hand, and sometimes it's referred to as specific evolution, micro or specific evolution – is an observable and provable phenomenon, and we must be sure that we do not shoot ourselves in the foot by claiming it is false. Natural selection does result in minor changes and even new species, but it cannot account for major changes of one kind to another kind. By this, I mean a cat cannot become a dog via natural selection. Cats and dogs are two different kinds or types of animals. The word kind appears 17 times within the first seven chapters of Genesis. These kinds are certain types of animals, and they do not mix. Once God created dogs, for example, certain natural forces in conjunction with genetics have over time resulted, no doubt, in many more species of dogs than there were at the, at the creation. But dogs are still dogs and have always uh, been dogs. Animals do adapt to their environment, and they can experience microevolution, but God has placed inherent limits in their genetic material such they cannot morph into entirely different kinds. Uh, as another note, I hope all listeners realize and stand firm on the fact that humans are not animals. We are not simply another type of mammal, as the scientific world in our schools would teach us. We were made in God's image and are m- made totally separate from the animal creation. We must not forget this. I think that's a good note. But but what Anthony was saying there is uh, certainly a, wor- a point worth clarifying at the start of our discussion. We understand that slight changes do occur within animal kinds or types. Um uh, human beings, for instance, are generally taller in our generation than they were four or five generations ago. And so, so we do see changes within species. And as as uh, Anthony said, depending on how you define the word species, like dogs, they, they come up w- with new species of dogs, for instance, by crossbreeding and selective uh, genetic choices. Your, your vegetables in your garden are, are, are specifically bred to give the characteristics of what uh, they want. But but a dog stays a dog, a cat stays a, do- a cat, a cow stays a cow. They don't change. That's right. And so uh, there is there is change within species, but there is not one species or one kind, I think is the right word that Anthony uses there, doesn't become another. So there's, there is micro, small change evolution. We observe that. We know that's true. What we're arguing is there's not macro or general evolution. The general theory of evolution suggests that sometime in the far distant past, some bit of non-living matter suddenly generated into life, a spontaneous generation of life from non-living matter. Of course, that's never been reproduced. Under the best laboratory conditions, it cannot be duplicated. Yeah, that's right. That's something you need to point out because this was all at by chance. Things just happen to be right. But we go to the laboratory where we can control all the variables. And if we if there was a, a certain combination that there needed to be, certainly we would have found it. Right, and it can't. And, and and the best scientists working with the best equipment in the best environments 
cannot duplicate that. But we're to believe that a single cell came to life in that non-living matter, a single-celled organism came to life. The complexities of even a single-cell organism are far beyond the capabilities of, of, of that happening. But if you assume that it did, and then that single cell grew, divided, multiplied, reproduced, and and changed, evolved into all the millions of different kinds of life forms that exist on planet Earth today. That, that's what we're supposed to believe. That is the general theory of evolution. And that's what we're saying is not true. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You know, they want us to believe these are small, gradual steps. But as you said, even one cell is a enormous step from uh, just being a matter, a non-living matter, to one living cell. That's right. Think yeah. of all the DNA, the other, um, the other functions of that cell. It's not just a gradual step. Do you remember when we were in school? I know you had to do it, Jacob, because I remember helping you make a model of a single living cell mm-hmm. with all the different components that are found in one living cell. And and we're supposed to believe that all of that came to life from non-living matter in a in a in an unexplained way uh, that has never been duplicated. It just uh, and, and by the way, we're going to talk about later in the program, that is actually goes against the known laws of science to suggest that that could happen. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Join in with the listeners in the chat room tonight. If you're in the chat room, we just read an email from Anthony. He is going by the name Bismarck in the chat room, so you know who you're talking to there. And we'd like to hear your thoughts as well. Join in on the discussion. Let us know what you're thinking as we talk about evolution on the virtual Bible study tonight. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of our listeners would agree with me is very frustrating is when in the news media we see uh, reports of evolution as being proven and factual. And I think Anthony said in his email, it's not provable, it's not even testable. Uh, and and for the media to have an obvious agenda to promote the cause is really disgusting, and and yet a lot of people are deceived by that. And I think it's been a challenge to a lot of people's faith because this is reported as fact again and again and again. And it's not testable; it's detestable. Yeah. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You know, they, even even in the scientific community, there's a lot of disagreement about evolution. Even among those who claim they believe in evolution, there's uh, a lot of disagreement. Uh, here's a couple of quotes. Um, in, in the book Origin of Species by Darwin, in an introduction by a man named Thompson, it says, as we know, there's a great divergence of opinion among biologists, not only about the causes of evolution, but even about the actual process. This divergence exists because the evidence is unsatisfactory and does not permit any certain conclusions. It is therefore right and proper to draw the attention of the non-scientific public to the disagreements about evolution. I mean, even scientists admit we don't know how this happened and we're not in agreement. We can speculate and we're guessing, but we don't have the proof and therefore we don't even agree about the basics of this theory. All right. And so it sounds like they've got a lot of faith in their assumptions as they ridicule those who would have faith. I believe you wrote an article about that not too long ago, Dad, about uh, those who believe in this really do have uh, make far more uh leaps of faith than those who would believe in God. Yeah, they, they ridicule the uh, people who, uh, with faith and say that we believe in the unprovable or we just take a blind leap of faith. But they, they do that and do it more illogically or unreasonably than we do. We admit that we, 
We admit that we believe in an uncaused first cause, God. Uh, they also believe in an uncaused first cause, and yet it is not. It, it, it has no basis or logic about it at all. And then they believe in several other uncaused causes along the way. It's not just one thing uh, that would require a miracle on their part. Uh, we're going to take a break. Before we take the break, we do need to make an announcement, and we've been meaning to make the announcement for a while now. Uh, there are some listeners in the chat room uh, tonight, uh, one listener in particular, who uh, has a broadcast similar to ours out in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, John in uh, Oklahoma City uh, conducts a study, and you can find it at scripturalway.org, the Scriptural Way broadcast. It's on Thursday or Tuesday evenings at 730. And it is an hour long. That's 7.30 our time, Central Time. Central Time, that's right. Uh, so go to scripturalway.org if you're interested in that study. We appreciate John. John is always uh, very diligent to be in our chat room and uh, participating in the discussion. We appreciate him being there. And so you might be interested in checking out uh, John's program. You can uh, view archives, and uh, if you don't catch it live, you can check it out there. So appreciate uh, that effort going on out in Oklahoma Yes, we recommend John and his program to you at Scriptural scripturalway.org. And uh, before we go to our break, let us remind everyone of the questions that we put out earlier today to our update list. We simply said, if you believe in evolution, if you believe in evolution, give us your best arguments as to why. If you don't believe in the general theory of evolution or macro evolution, as we just uh, identified it, Give us your best reasons why you do not, and we'd, we'd love to hear your input on that. We're going to cover several arguments here in our program tonight. We'd love to hear what is the most compelling argument to you to either believe in evolution or to not believe in evolution. Okay. Get in line. Let us know your thoughts. We'll take a break and continue on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. Welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about evolution, and we look forward to hearing from you. We have an email Coming in uh, from a voice you just heard, Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee, has some thoughts for us on the program tonight. Jack uh, is talking about what we were just talking about, you know, the complexities of an individual single cell and the possibility that it could happen by chance. He says a very basic way to challenge evolution 
requires only a look in our eighth grade science textbooks. Most know that as, a, as the cell reproduces, it goes through a process known as DNA replication. That is the unzipping of the double helix structure and the duplication and creating of a new strand of DNA. Uh, the DNA place the correct nucleoti- nucleotide with its complementary nucleotide. Uh, you're way beyond me here, Jack. When an accidental here, here's the point. Yeah, when we're a, getting dizzy over here, Jack. Uh, take it easy. <laughs> when an accidental pair up takes place, in other words, say there's some mistake in the alignment of the DNA. When an accidental pair up takes place, a self-correcting process begins. An enzyme comes in, cuts out the incorrectly placed nucleotide. And the process is corrected. If evolution is true, then neither the then either the problem arose first, an incorrectly placed nucleotide, or the self-correcting process evolved first, one or the other. If the problem arose first, then the DNA would have been duplicated incorrectly, and the organism's newly made cell would not be an accurate copy, thus killing the organism, not enabling any of its cells to replicate, and not giving the organism's e- organism even a chance to evolve a correcting process if the self-correcting process came first for what reason why would a cell evolve a process to correct a problem it had never encountered both processes has both processes had to have come about at the same time due to a previous a previous knowledge that this problem would occur and he suggests that is intelligent design that's actually from zach coleman uh yeah. and Zach, we appreciate that. Uh, uh, you you got some information there that I'm, uh, I thought that, Jack had a pretty good remembrance of those. Yeah, I, I thought that I thought that classes. sounded pretty complicated for Jack to be making, but I can understand Zach making okay. that argument. Uh, Thanks, Zach. We appreciate you, Zach. it. We appreciate those good comments. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Send an email to questions at collegeu dot com, like Zach did, or join in the ch- chat room with other listeners tonight. All right. Uh, yeah, and we see in the chat room that it, we're identifying that comment as Zach, and we appreciate Zach for doing that. A, a good argument. And basically what Zach was saying there, you, you've got two processes at work, and they couldn't have evolved, they couldn't have evolved uh, separately. They've got, it happens to happen at one time. It had, and there's so much about creation like that that things had to have happened together simultaneously in other words, and and this and this multiplies the complexity of of the uh, uh, of the chance, and, and this is the argument of intelligent design, as Zach rightfully mentioned. Uh, there is just so much evidence of an intelligence behind what we see in in the creation, and and that it could happen, and that everything necessary could happen simultaneously. For instance, the argument is made about the human eye. There's a lot of complex things going on in the eye. And it all had to come together simultaneously, or the the supposedly evolving organism would have said, "Ah, that doesn't work. Throw that away. We right. got we got something there, but it's not doing anything." Right. Because the, if the eye had not fully evolved to be able to, to to function at even an elementary level, supposedly natural selection would have said, "Well, that's a useless that's a useless uh, feature." We'll get rid of that, and then we'll keep mutating on. Right. You know, uh, we didn't. Know, so we're going to keep this piece of an eyelid around here with no eyeball to cover up, just because yeah. we like it. Yeah. It doesn't work that way in the theory of evolution. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Zach, you got a, you got a good point. Okay. And uh, as we get into this uh, discussion, we'll find out that the, 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 the fossil record does not 
coincide with the, what Zach is mentioning there and what, and what you're mentioning. We ought to see various stages of development. We simply don't see that in the fossil record. Yeah, uh, let's go to an argument that I think is real powerful, and it is that argument about the fossil record, Jacob. If evolution happened, then what we ought to be able to see preserved in the fossils is a record of things gradually changing. For instance, an illustration of this would be evolutionists tell us that modern-day birds evolved from the reptile family, okay? And so if that happened, what we would expect to see as we dig up fossils all over the earth is we'd expect to see some fossils that show this process taking place. In other words, some, something begins to change, and it's, it's a little different than a reptile. Now, it's certainly not a bird yet, but it's not exactly a reptile anymore either. And then over time, it becomes less like a reptile and more like a bird. And over time, it becomes then fully a bird, not a reptile at all. And as that process happened, and the evolutionists would argue that it took a long time for that to happen, then we would expect to find evidence of those things preserved in the fossil record. In fact, uh, Charles Darwin, who's a lot of times credited as the father of modern evolution, although I think he, he probably just formalized some arguments that had been around long before he uh, was around. Here's what he said. Uh, he's he said the number of intermediate and transitional links between all living and extinct species must have been inconceivably great. And so Darwin said if this happened, then there would have been a lot of these intermediate forms. For instance, between reptiles and birds, there would have been an inconceivably num- great number of intermediate links in between. In other words, they didn't, it didn't happen all at once. It took a long time to happen, and we would expect to find evidence of that happening in the fossil record. But it's not there. You know, uh, it's taking millions of years. I don't know when the first cell was uh, uh, supposedly came around in the evolutionary timeline. Well, uh, about... Um, well, uh, hundreds of millions of years old. Oh, millions of years ago. That the Earth and our solar system supposedly formed about four billion years ago, and uh, I'm 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 drawing a blank. But I, I think that evolutionists suggest that life on Earth has been evolving for close to a billion years. Close to a billion years of yeah. life. I think I've, I've kind of losing my. Maybe I'm, they I'm, can I'm, help I'm, us out with that in the yeah, chat. Yeah, maybe room. the chat room knows how long life. When, when did this supposed spontaneous well, generation of life from non-living? Let's just say it was ten million years. Ten. Oh, it, was million. Way, it was way longer. Let's than just that. say it was ten millions of years, and these cells and uh, these organisms have have gradually changed. Then we ought to be able to find fossils all over the place. The evolutionists tell us we're looking for a missing link. There ought to be missing links all over the place. You couldn't go out and dig a hole in your backyard without coming across a missing link if evolution is true. Because the, these, these things were dying all over the place in these gradual forms. And as you said, we don't have anything that gives us an indication. We've got a lot of scams where people have put things together and made it look like missing links, but we have no missing links. In fact, uh, here's what actually occurs in the fossil record. you got complex life forms suddenly appearing in the fossil record, complex life forms multiplying after their own kind uh, in the fossil record, no transitional like, uh, excuse me, no transitional links between different biological families in the 
in the uh, fossil record. Uh, now, here's what Darwin said about that. And I, I guess you got to credit the guy for at least being honest about it. Here, Darwin said, intermediate links, question, geology surely does not reveal any such finely graduated organic change. And this is perhaps the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory of evolution. Now, again, that's from his book, The Origin of Species. Darwin admitted that, that we would expect to see lots of intermediate links, in other words, transitional forms, and there are none. And therefore, he he says that he thought that this was the best argument that could be posed against his theory of evolution. So that's Darwin's own mouth saying, we got a problem here. We should We should be able to find them, and we can't, and that's a problem to us. All right, Darwin admits that yeah. they got the problem. Yeah. All right. Here's another quote from a fellow named David Kitts, uh, who is a paleontologist, uh, an evolutionary paleontologist. A paleontologist is simply a guy who studies fossils. Now this this, this fellow happens to be a Ph.D. and a curator of the Department of Geology at Stovall Museum. And he says, despite the bright promise that paleontology or the study of fossils provides a means of, quote, seeing evolution, it has presented some nasty difficulties for the evolutionists, the most notorious of which is the presence of gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires intermediate forms between species, and paleontology does not provide them. And so here's a guy who's a Ph.D. in the field of fossils, and he says they're not there. We simply don't have them. Um, another professor in Sweden named Nielsen wrote, the fossil material is now so complete that the lack of transitional series cannot be explained by the scarcity of the material. The deficiencies are real. They will never be filled. In other words, this guy is saying it's the it's not the case that they're out there and we just haven't found them yet. He's saying we've done enough research and we found enough fossil evidence everywhere all around the earth. These gaps in the fossil record are not going to be found. They're not there. He, he admits that. And then I liked one from a, a doctor named uh, Watson, Lyle Watson. Not, not the Dr. Watson that we're familiar with. I no, know. this is Dr. Lyle Watson. Okay. And he, wrote, he writes, the fossils that decorate our family tree are so scarce that there are still more scientists than specimens. The remarkable fact is that all the physical evidence we have for human evolution can still be placed with room to spare inside a single coffin. Of course, I don't think there's any evidence of human evolution, but he's saying we just don't have much. There's not the fossils don't help us prove evolution. In fact, we would argue the fossils prove just the opposite. All right, uh, we have some dates for you on this okay, timeline okay. because you know we're talking about these things are dying off. They're leaving records. Three billion years ago. Three billion. We have the first signs of life and, on planet Earth, uh, and this is from a NASA website. We have the first signs of life on planet Earth uh, three million years ago, and then three billion, three billion years ago. I'm sorry, three billion with years ago. With a billion with a B. Then 510 million years ago, we have the first marine hard-shelled animals. 510 million years ago, and it goes from there. 450 million years ago, the first fish, and 410 million years ago, the first land animal, uh, land plants. First land animals are 350 million years ago. So these land animals have been crawling around the earth for 350 million years, falling off here and there, dying, fossils being formed, and we can't find any 
yeah. of the missing links. Yeah, John John in the in the chat room uh, confirms what you and he gives a link there to uh, a Wikipedia article timeline of evolution. The basic timeline is 4.6 billion years old for the Earth. Uh, other approximate dates: 3. Point billion years for the first simple cells. Three billion years for photosynthesis to begin. Two billion years for complex cells. All right, and we had the first land animals 350 million years ago. The first humans. Two million years ago. So if I do the math, that's about 308 million years, give or take a million, of these fossils that we ought to be able to find. And again, we're talking about huge spans of time. I mean, for instance, we're told that the that the dinosaurs became extinct 65 million years ago, supposedly. So I mean, uh, we're talking about huge spans of times. And we, uh, as we already talked about in last week's program, the time's not there. There, 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 there was no such time. And these are gradual links. They, they, the way they talk about it, you would think there was a monkey swinging around in a tree. Boop, he has a some kind of weird, uh, deformed baby, and then boop, that baby has a human. And there's just one one generation. Well, actually, there is a thing uh, that some scientists try to get around this problem of no fo- no fossil evidence of evolution. There is a theory that's called punctuated equilibrium. And it's an obvious ploy to try and circumvent this argument that we're making that the fossil record doesn't doesn't show evolution. And punctuated equilibrium suggests everything went along for long periods of time at equilibrium. Nothing was changing. Then all of a sudden there was a bunch of change, but it happened real quick. And we couldn't get in the fossil record. Well, it was so quick that there yeah. wasn't there weren't any fossils left behind. And mm-hmm. then and then it hit another period of equilibrium. And then after millions and millions of years, bang, another big jump and change in in living organisms happened. And then it hit equilibrium again. But those, those punctuated equilibrium, what's that called? And and the jumps or changes happened quickly. So that it didn't have time to leave evidence in the fossil record, there it, it, it transpired so quickly. It, maybe it was a miracle. <laughs> I don't know. All right, we're going to take a break, and we've got a phone call. We'll get on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after this week's bullet point. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. Here's an interesting challenge: sit down and write a list of all the things you would be willing to die for. It shouldn't take too long to write your list. But having completed your list of things you'd be willing to die for, you will also have made a list of things you ought to be living for. These are the things that will bring the greatest happiness and fulfillment in your life. What kind of things would you put on your list? Christ and his church? Your family? Your country? A very close friend? This is probably as far as most folks would be willing to go. But think about this. Would you die for your job? Certainly not. Your job is not that important. Would you die for your hobby? A ball game, a round of golf, a camping trip, or for your television set? Of course not. Now that we have your list all properly arranged, look at it again. It may be that you've not been carefully following the right priorities, the very things on your own list. For instance, how many people are sacrificing their spiritual service in the Lord's church and their own families for the sake of their jobs? Too many Christians are guilty of putting their jobs ahead of everything else. Or think how often we hear Christians who forsake the assemblies in order to spend a weekend at the lake or camping in the mountains or attending a ball game. And even more are guilty of neglecting their duties of prayer, study, worship, and teaching while they sit idly in front of a television set watching shows they shouldn't see. A successful life is the product of following the right priorities. Christian, are you living for the things you would be willing to die for? That's this week's bullet point. 
Think about it. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Missed a recent Virtual Bible Study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're part of it as we talk about evolution. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, let us know your thoughts over the phone, over email, or in the chat room tonight. And Debbie in Lakeland, Florida, is, get this, Dad, she's learning to use her computer tonight, and she stumbled across the virtual Bible study. Great, great. We're glad you found us, Debbie. Welcome to the program, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, if we we're talking about evolution tonight. Did you have some thoughts to, to throw into the conversation? Yes, sir. Just, I don't believe in Darwinism. Um, God is God. But God, I think, because God is God, made things scientifically and everything else. For man, I mean, he's God. He can create things. He created art and history and music, and and God's the creator of all things. And if there's things out there for people to study, scientists, um, archaeologists, what have you, it's because God created it for them to study. But man also has the the choice to take things however he wants. So if he wants to go a little out there with it and try to say it's not God, well, that's the choice God's given man. Well, that's for sure. God has given us all free choice. What we're doing, though, in our discussion is trying to suggest that if, if we will look at this objectively and really consider the evidence, it's clear that what... uh non-believing scientists have suggested in regards to the idea that life evolved and that humans evolved just simply isn't you may note if you've been listening for the whole program we haven't we haven't even referenced a single bible verse in our program tonight because we understand that if you're going to try to convince an evolutionist you can't use the bible because he doesn't believe the bible right right but but there's a just an abundance of scientific evidence that says evolution didn't happen. It couldn't have happened. It's not even true to the, to the law. We're not talking about the laws of the Bible. We're talking about the laws of science. Evolution is not true to the basic laws of science. And so it, it's just an illogical uh, theory that some have gone to, I think, for the reason of trying to prove that we exist without God. And as you said, God created everything. We do not exist without God. We exist because of God. Exactly, right. All right, Debbie. Well, thanks for listening to us in Lakeland, Florida. I'm sorry. Um, what I picked up on my computer was not this discussion. The one I picked up on my computer was the one on um, who should go to heaven. Oh, okay. I'm well, sorry. Well, so I was totally unprepared for this discussion. Well, yeah, that's I'm fine. Sorry. That's okay. You, you got into our archive page. We've got all of our past programs on there, and there's a, there's a ton of them there and lots of different subjects. We talk about a different subject every week. And so uh, we're, we're, we're live at nine o'clock your time every week. Debbie. Yeah, bookmark okay. us and come back yeah, and yeah, join have us. Have you figured out how to bookmark on your computer yet? No, I'm still learning. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, learn how to do that and come back and join us any Thursday night. Glad to have you in okay. our listening audience. Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. Um, bye bye. All right. Uh, good to hear from Debbie tonight. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu.com. She was in the archive. That would be confusing to be listening to one t- subject and then come call in to something being live on a different. Exactly. But she did a great job. And so we appreciate her comments. And uh, that is a good reminder for us to let our listeners know that we have all of our programs for the last five years. 
archived on our website. So a wide variety of topics uh, for you to study. Looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567 or email questions at collegeview.com. Got an email from our friend Skip in Greencastle, Indiana, who writes, he says, I hope this makes sense. He says, as you've already noted, explaining any of the complex structures by chance defies reasonable explanation. I believe something even more inexplicable is from where did the information come that would be instructions for the various formations, for instance, the DNA code in a cell. Where did that come from? Right. It's what he's arguing. An illustration of this would be one can have the letters of the alphabet, but to have those letters form into words that have meaning is something else. The meaning is something apart from the letters. The letter, In other words, he's saying there's letters, then there's letters in, in an organized form mm-hmm. that convey a message. Right. The information is something apart from the physical structure. Where did that information come from? I think that's exactly right. In other words, uh, I've, I've heard it illustrated this way. If all the complexity of the human body just evolved by chance, then it, it – in, in, in relative terms, that's about as logical as saying you could set a monkey down at a computer keyboard and let him type away. And given enough time, he would compose a complete set of encyclopedias. In other words, what's the chance that would happen? I mean, he, he doesn't have the intelligence in himself to cause it to happen. But just by randomly poking away on the keys, he, re, he, he ends up with a finished product that is volumes upon volumes of perfectly organized sentences. It would never happen. Anybody would say that could never happen. But that's what they're saying. That's what evolution is basically arguing for the complexities of life on Earth. Uh, all of that information coming together. In other words, as Skip saying, the various parts are one thing. Having them organized is another, and that's what just simply couldn't happen. I've heard it explained this way. It's the equivalent of a tornado going through a Home Depot store and, and building a neighborhood. Exactly. It just doesn't happen, and it will never happen, and it cannot. It's against the laws of science. Let, your, let us know your thoughts. Give us a call or send us an email. Another email from Indiana says, Humans have changed over the years mainly due mainly to our achieving the ability to expand our knowledge of what is out there in nature, better foods, medicine, understanding of what is needed to improve life. This is where we change our environment to meet our needs and not our physical being to meet nature's demands. We evolve mentally, getting smarter by gaining knowledge of our surroundings and using our minds to succeed. This happens a lot faster than waiting for evolution to do its thing. I do not think I could wait one million years to find a better way to make toast. <laughs> well, uh, not uh, in the morning you could. I think that's right. No, and I think that's right. No, and, and what is being suggested there is what, way back to the start of our program, change does take place within species, but... It, we don't get new kinds evolving. In other words, a man is a man, and a man will always be a man, and he's not going to evolve into something else. Uh, human beings are human, and we're going to stay human. We may see minor changes in the human uh, skeletal structure or even in the human brain capacity, but we're still going to be human. We're going to have all the basic characteristics of humanity. All right. So we've talked about the fact that uh, that science doesn't give us any proof in the fossil record for their theory of evolution. It's simply, uh, there's no proof, there's no history of it. We can't find any record that this evolution occurred. While it did happen over millions of years, there is no record, there's no trace that can be found of evolution actually occurring. They want us to believe it without any proof, without any evidence. But it also violates known laws of science. We need to remember that evolution is a theory, 
the media, the school systems will not let us know that it is a theory. They will minimize the fact that it is a theory, that it's unproven. But it is an unproven theory. But the theory violates known laws of science, laws and principles that we can go into a laboratory, we can prove, we can demonstrate, we can repeat laws of science. The theory violates the laws of science. Jack, in, uh, now this is from Jack, not Zach. This is from Jack in Hampshire. And he says, uh, uh, one of my best arguments against the general theory of evolution is that it violates the second law of thermodynamics and leaves us to believe that human consciousness develops as a result of mere chemicals. He says, the second law of thermodynamics. I don't believe the general theory of evolution because it is contrary to the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics refers to... Um, I lost my place, uh, refers to the universal tendency for things on their own to mix with their surrounding environment over time, becoming less ordered and eventually reaching a steady state. A glass of hot water becomes room temperature, buildings decay into rubble, and the stars will eventually burn out, leading to the heat death of the universe. However, the evolutionary scenario poses that over time, on their own, things became more ordered and structured. Somehow the energy of the Big Bang structured itself into stars, galaxies, planets, and living things contrary to the second law. It is sometimes said that the energy of the sun was enough to overcome this tendency and to allow for the formation of life on Earth. However, however, application of energy alone is not enough to overcome this tendency. The energy must be channeled by a machine. A human must repair a building to keep it from decaying. Likewise, it is the machinery of photosynthesis which harnesses the energy of the sun, allowing life to exist. And photosynthesis is itself a complex chemical process. The maturing of an acorn into a tree or a zygote, the first cell resulting from fertilization into a mature human being, does not violate the second law as these processes are guided by the information already present in the acorn or the zygote. My reference is the second law of thermodynamics found at answersingenesis.org. I think that's right. What we see, even in the human species, is there's a lot, there's, as we, as time goes on, the, the gene pool of the human race becomes more um, compromised. There's, there's, you know, what we, what we believe would be the case is that when God first created Adam and Eve, the, the genes that they possessed were perfect and unflawed. But over time, by various mutations which occurred, that gene pool would become corrupted to the point now that we have the potential when when uh, a child is born that there might be some deficiency in the genetic makeup, uh, that, that the mother and father come together and, and a, a complication occurs because of some flaw in the genes and the combination of the genes uh, and so even in the human kind, we see, we see sort of a, a devolving, not an evolving uh, in that sense. Well, you would think you should because of the second law of thermodynamics. It's a law that happens, and you should see that uh, happening in nature, whereas evolution requires that things went from a state of utter disorder, and order began to evolve out of the disorder. The, it turns the second law of thermodynamics on its head. Uh, let me read an email from our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, who writes, My main disagreement with Darwin's general theory of evolution is the concept of beneficial mutations. When in a species you have a mutation, a change in structure, this mutation must be assumed to be beneficial, better, and stronger. Not only this, but any mutation must exist in pairs in order for the species to propagate and for said propagation to continue. 
In other words, if you have a monkey which mutates into a subhuman, you need two monkeys to mutate at the same time in order for them to mate and continue the mutation until the next generation. Else, you have one mutation which then mates with the previous link of the species, and you cannot guarantee the continued existence of the mutation strain. That's so, a good point. So what you, ha- you need, in effect, is a miracle, he says. Uh, um, by the way, you know, evolution, based on what Jim has just suggested, the, the general theory of evolution requires an, uh, just an incredible long chain of consecutively beneficial mutations in order for everything to evolve from that first simple cell. In other words, it wasn't just one, two, ten, or ten thousand. It was billions upon billions, trillions, quadrillions of beneficial mutations which occurred in a progressive order to bring life to a higher level. Now, think about that. When you hear the word mutation, you don't think of something good. If, if, if I told you, Jacob, a friend of ours, let's say, had a baby and it had a mutation, You'd say, oh, great. It's going to be an NBA uh, basketball. Oh, yeah, this, that's fantastic. The baby had a mutation. Yeah. No, you'd say, oh, that's too bad. How, how, what's, what's, what's going to happen? What's the prognosis? Because we understand that mutations almost exclusively, in fact, for all intents and purposes, exclusively, mutations are bad, not good. Yeah. But evolution says we had this incredible long chain of beneficial mutations. mutations. Exactly right. All right. Well, Jim, real quickly, have we got time for a break? Go ahead. Take uh, it. Jim, Jim concludes this. He says, uh, here's a quote from the website, All About Science. Darwin's theory of evolution, a theory in crisis. Darwin's theory of evolution is a theory in crisis in light of the tremendous advances we've made in molecular biology, biochemistry, and genetics over the past 50 years. We now know that there are, there are in fact, tens of thousands of irreducibly complex systems on the cellular level. uh, specified complexity pervades the microscopic biological world. Molecular biologist Michael Denton wrote, quote, although the tiniest bacterial cells are incredibly small, weighing less than 10 to the minus 12 grams, each is in effect a veritable micro-miniaturized factory containing thousands of exquisitely designed pieces of intricate molecular machinery made up altogether of 100,000 million atoms, Far more complicated than any machinery built by man and absolutely without parallel in the non-living world. And we don't need a microscope to observe irreducible, irreducible complexity. The eye, the ear, and the heart are all examples of irreducible complexity, though they were not recognized as such in Darwin's day. Nevertheless, Darwin confessed, quote, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of lights, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural, in other words, to suggest that this could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Even Darwin admitted the problem of irreducible complexity, intelligent design. All right. Uh, thank you for that email, John. And we're going to take a break. And on the other side of the break, we'll have time for your comments. Join in the chat room. Send us an email. Give us a call. Don't go anywhere. We go to the top of the hour right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. 
After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. Find out more about the College View Church of Christ by visiting our website, The Virtual Bible Study. Dot com or collegeview.com. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and visit with the College View Church of Christ at your earliest convenience to find out what the College View Church of Christ is all about. We're talking about evolution on the program tonight, and it simply is a theory that does not work. It contradicts the laws of science. Jacob, I, I, did, I did not finish one of our emails from Jack in which he went on a little bit further to say one of the things that is unexplainable by evolution is the human conscience. He says a person is a unity of body and mind and soul, the mind and soul being the immaterial part of you that is the real inner you. Chemicals alone cannot explain self-awareness, creativity, reasoning, emotions of love and hate, sensations of pleasure and pain, possessing and remembering experiences and free will. Reason itself cannot be relied upon if it is based only on blind neurological events. He says, my reference here is the origin of the brain and mind by... Uh, and I think that's the Apologetics Press. And it gives a it gives a reference there. I think that's right. You know, even if if and this goes to a point Anthony's earlier email said we're not just animals. Animals don't possess this inner being that we possess and don't have an appreciation for uh, the kind of things that are mentioned in that email. How did that? Where did that come about? And what would be the evolutionary benefit of that? You know, what does it do for me? For, as far as my survival and existence, to be able to appreciate a beautiful sunset. What does that do for me? I mean, as far as my survival is, it doesn't do anything. Okay. And there's another thing that it doesn't uh, do anything for you evolutionary terms-wise. What about the, the uh, sense of right and wrong? That is a, exactly the opposite of what evolution would teach you. Evolution would teach you that you ought to do whatever it takes for you to survive, survival to fittest, rather than being concerned about the, the weaker uh, members of the, of the society. Yeah, if, if, where, where did the idea arise and from how did it come to be that we take care of our sick and weak and infirm and those who are unable to care for themselves? If, we, if, if evolution were true, it would be better for those to die off. We should kill them. Maybe eat them, but we should <laughs> well, definitely kill them okay. because they're not doing anything. But you know what? You stop to think about it. That's what some of the 
social liberals in our society are suggesting. When people get old, when they get sick, they're not, it's not worth keeping them alive. We shouldn't bother to care for them. You know, they, they are actually suggesting, they, in their intellectual eliteness, they're actually suggesting a, a step back in, in, in progress, really, of, of the uh, human in kind. Terms, in their yeah. terms, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quickly, an email from Wade, uh, who, who, in reference to last week's program, wanted to suggest a book called Thousands, Not Billions by Dr. Don DeYoung, and it's published by the Institute for Creation Research. Uh, the book explores evidence that suggests that carbon dating is not accurate. For years, we've been told that carbon-14 dating is very accurate. Generally, scientists use this method to get all these extra zeros added to the ends of dates. Uh, Dr. DeYoung shows... Uh, and if you're going to write a book about a young Earth, wouldn't you like to have the name Dr. DeYoung? Isn't, yeah. that, isn't that great? That's, That's ironic. Kind of, yeah. He, he looks at how fallible the method really is through several different studies that took a team of scientists seven years to perform. Uh, and so that I think you can find that it's uh, if you get on the internet and look for Institute for Creation Research and the book Thousands Not Billions. Okay. All right. Now, one thing I wanted to touch on before we get done here, Jacob, is what is sometimes referred to as theistic evolution. And I think it's worth noting that that's that's an unnecessary compromise. All right, tell us what theistic evolution is, because you've got a couple $5 words there put together. What is theistic evolution? Well, I think everybody can recognize theistic has to do with God from from the root uh, Greek word theos. Theistic, God, evolution. God caused evolution. Okay. And there are a lot of people who claim to believe in God, but in some some way they feel an, an urgent necessity to be able to accommodate the claims of science, scientific evolutionists. And so they want to get long uh, uh, an old universe. they got to get that time in there that we talked about last week. And then they've got to try to somehow uh, say, well, sure, evolution happened. God just used that in his creative processes. Well, really, evol- theistic evolution shares with just regular evolution all the problems we've been talking about the time doesn't exist from our program last week there's not enough time if evolution happened even if god was causing it to happen where are the fossils that show that it did happen where are the fossils and again it would if it happened it would be contradictory to the laws of science that god himself put into place god you know we talk about the laws of science as though there's some kind of abstract thing that that just God wrote the laws of science. God's the one who put it in process. He he's the one who established all these processes that happen in nature. He's the author of them all. Evolution, even if he supposedly caused the evolution, would go counter to and in violation of the basic laws of science. So the only thing that theistic evolution buys you is it gets you out of the Big Bang problem. Yeah. It, tells, it, it gives us that uncaused first cause. But you've got all the other leaps of faith along the way, other miracles, really, that would be required for the evolution to occur. It does not have any historical fact. It contradicts the laws of science. So it really is an unnecessary compromise, and it is a compromise in the face of what the Bible teaches. Exactly right. Why try and believe in God if you don't believe that he created this earth yeah. and all the, the things that are in it? And and we, we just have to, to agree that... You can't have it both ways. Either 
the, the two cannot coexist. The belief in God and and the creation as is described in the Bible cannot exist uh, with the theory of evolution. And let's go one step farther. The belief in God cannot exist with the belief in an old earth, as we talked about last week. The earth is young. The scriptures teach that it is, and science teaches that it is as well. Exactly right. Real quickly, Jacob, I just wanted to deal with some objections that sometimes come up when, we, when we're trying to teach that God created everything that exists. He, create, he created in full developed form. He didn't use evolution to bring it about. God created everything a few thousand years ago. The earth is young, something less than 10,000 years old, probably more on the order of 6,000 years old. Uh, God created everything. Some, some questions come up. One of them is, well, the earth looks older than that. We talked a little bit about this last week. You know, for instance, we've got coal and oil and natural gas in down in the earth. How did that get there? Because we're told that the way that that got there was that organic matter died and was buried. And over time, under heat and pressure under the surface of the earth, it decomposed and formed into oil, coal and natural gas and and coal carbon deposits under longer periods of time and greater pressures turn into diamonds. Mm-hmm, right. How is it that we have these things in the earth if the earth hasn't been here long enough for those things to happen? Well, for one thing, we don't know how long it did take for those things to happen. We just don't know that. It's uh, never been observed, obviously. But secondly, a very easy explanation is God created all these things in mature form, ready for us to discover and use it to, to, to accommodate our life on earth. We know that God created things, as we said last week, with apparent age. He didn't try to hide that from us. He created Adam, a full-grown man. First thing he told him was, be fruitful and multiply. Right. So we know God didn't try to hide from us that he created things in a mature form. The earth, the earth looks older? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how you judge that. But what we do know is that God created a mature universe. We know that. He told us so. Okay. We had a question in the chat room quickly. We're out of time. But Mike posed uh, the argument he's heard about what about uh, the vestigial organs. If you don't know what the word vestigial means, that means your appendix, perhaps. or Useless organs. Useless organs. You know, there, uh, uh, a, a few centuries ago, uh, experts claimed there were 180 vestigial organs in the human body. And, and the argument is they were there. But they're leftovers from when we were a lower life form. And 180, and, and, huh? And they're not necessary anymore. That's And so the, the fact that they're there and not necessary anymore is proof that we've evolved from a lower life form. Yeah, Actually, now uh, doctors claim that there are less than 10 supposedly vestigial organs in the human body. What that means is they figured out what all of them are there for. And my guess is that the others have a purpose, too. We just haven't advanced medically enough to know what the purpose is. Uh, that's right. And uh, I've heard that the, the, the appendix was one of those that uh, we supposedly didn't know. Let's go back down to Lakeland, Florida, quickly, as we are just about out of time. And Debbie's back on the phone. Debbie, welcome to the virtual Bible study again. I have a, I have a question. Um, because go ahead. Yeah, Nick, I turn, believe, turn it, down. I believe in everything I read in the Bible, but what... I mean, we know there were dinosaurs, but it doesn't discuss or mention dinosaurs in the Bible. Actually, it, it possibly does. There are a couple of references in the in the Bible that may, in fact, suggest the the idea of dinosaurs. Uh, let me suggest to you a couple of passages to look at: Job chapter forty, uh, verses fifteen through twenty four. 
may in fact be a reference in the Bible to the existence of dinosaurs in the same time. If if what we're saying is true, dinosaurs and men coexisted on Earth in the same time, and there is evidence that they did. But I would suggest to you, we're out of time, but I suggest to you, look in the book of Job, chapter 40, beginning about verse 15. Thank you. Thank uh-huh. you so much. Okay. Thank bye-bye. you, Debbie. Bye-bye. All right. We appreciate that call, and we are out of time, but it has been a good discussion. We could go on for hours, and uh, we, we wouldn't get to the cover. It's, it's a, it's a, and I think it's a fascinating topic, and I, what I do hope is that we've been able to say some things to help us all have our faith strongly grounded in the Word of God. We do not need to have our faith shaken by the unfounded, unprovable, untestable Theory of evolution. That's right, absolutely. So, and if you missed our program last week, some excellent information there from Dwight McGee on the age of the Earth. If you've missed that interview last week, we would encourage you to listen to that in our archives and go back to uh, our archives on our website for any uh, subject that we've discussed in the last five years. Lots of subjects out there and lots of subjects still to be discussed. And so, if you have a question about any Bible subject that you'd like to hear discussed in this format, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email anytime to questions at collegeview.com, and we'd be glad to consider your topic for a future discussion on the virtual Bible study. Yeah, we enjoy it. Thanks to everybody for participating. Tonight. All right. Thank you, Dad, for your time. Thank you for being on the program. We hope that you benefited from our discussion. We hope that you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.